we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Amen. Let's put our hands together and let's praise this God of revival this morning. I think we can do better than that. Let's lift Him up in this place. Let's lift Him up. Let's lift Him up. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you can. I want to tell you something, just plain and simple. It, I, I, something the Lord taught me a long time ago. If I can hoop and holler and scream and shout over my favorite sports team, does not God deserve that same celebration? He deserves to be celebrated in this room. He deserves to be celebrated in our lives. I want to challenge you to celebrate Jesus in this room. I want to uh, thank you for your prayers for my wife. She's still not able to be with us. Hopefully by next Sunday she will, but um, keep praying for her. She's uh, in a recovery mode from surgery, but she's doing good, and uh, she's getting stronger every day, and we know um, that prayer makes a difference in that. So just uh, keep praying for her, keep lifting her up. And she misses all of you guys and, and hopes to be uh, back in the saddle soon here. And uh, I appreciate Paige. I told her finally all those years of piano lessons. <laughs> I, I'm getting some return on my investment. So anyhow, um, but I appreciate her stepping in and helping us out there. Um, we're blessed with a lot of talent in this room. We're blessed with a lot of people uh, that can sing and play and give God glory, and, and I thank God for that. Um, as we move into this, I'm, I'm returning to Acts chapter 2 today. I was in that last week, and I pl planned on going on into to Acts chapter 3, but the Lord has brought me right back to this because there is a, there's a fundamental message that can't be missed in this uh, that I think we need to hear. Um, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to kind of skip around a few verses here, but I'm going to summarize this, and then we're going to go into this. But in, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to heaven. He's getting ready to return to the Father, and he gives a challenge to the church. He says, go to the world in, in the last part of the Gospels, and then he goes and he says, now go tarry in Jerusalem. It's a continuation of that story. And he says, and wait for the power that you need. Wait for the comforter. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to empower you to carry out this mission that I've given you. That is an impossible mission without God. Reaching the whole world must have been mind-boggling to them. I cannot imagine, uh, because they did not have a live stream to go all, all over the place. They did not have you know, telephones. They didn't have airplanes. Uh, you're, you're going by boat or walking. And... So they've been told, go to the whole world, reach the whole world, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and with, on that note, next Sunday, Baptism Sunday, can we give the Lord praise for that? We're going to baptize some folks. And so if you would like to be baptized, please see me and let me know. So I'm kind of, uh, I, I would like to talk to you uh, if you would like to be baptized next Sunday. But we've had uh, at least uh, one express they would like to do that. Uh, uh, and so we're going to do that next Sunday. Amen. And uh, that will be in the second service. So, so those of you that are getting baptized, you don't have to do it twice. 
Sorry, sorry, anyway. Okay, so just just one service, um, but we'll do that in this service, the 11 o'clock service, but I'd like to welcome those who are watching at home as well, because this message, I believe, needs to be heard, and it's, it's just simply devoted, devoted. Um, you're going to be devoted to something. I'm going to be devoted to something, and we're going to put our time, our effort, and our energy into something. Why? Because we were created to worship, to worship. We were. Uh, our purpose was to, to be created was to worship our Father who's in heaven. And guess what? When man fell, when, when man fell out of the, uh, uh, in the garden and committed sin and was cast from that garden, that need to worship still exists in every living being that's ever been born. And if you, if you're going to find something to worship. Um, even the atheist that says there is no God worships something. They're worshiping, uh, a lot of times they're they're worshiping their intellect. A lot of times they're worshiping uh, the, their knowledge, their book knowledge or, or knowledge in itself. Man, man has got a, need, got a need in you to find something to devote yourself to. And so this morning my challenge is, is what are we devoted to as the church? And, and so that's what drew me back to Acts chapter 2. The, they're challenged to go to Jerusalem and wait for the comforter. And in the first part of Acts where we love to anchor, especially as Pentecostals, we like to stay right there and we don't go anywhere. Father, but in the first part of Acts, the comforter is given, the Holy Spirit comes. I explained to you last week, they heard people speaking in, uh, in, in other languages. These were known languages, by the way. These were, were not unknown languages because people from all over the earth had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost was a celebration of harvest. Isn't that, isn't that ironic? That, that the Lord would choose to, to, to launch the church into action on, on the, and during the feast of harvest. This is when they would celebrate the grains coming in and being harvested and, and the new livestock being born. And so they devoted a, a time and set apart time to offer sacrifices to God and to, to feast and to celebrate Pentecost. Well, the Bible says that they, they did this. Jesus, when he died and was resurrected, he was crucified on uh, on Passover. Well, right before Passover. Well, Passover, uh, if you understand how that works, Passover ended and then Pentecost is, is celebrated 40 days after. And so anyway, uh, 10 or 10 days after, 10 days after that, it would have fallen Pentecost. So 50 days prior after his crucifixion, the church is dwelling there. Jesus dwelt 40 days with the church and then he ascended back to the Father. 10 days later in this upper room is the giving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, the, the people hear a sound from heaven. We talked about that last week. As a mighty rushing wind, it was not just a figurative thing. It was heard and it drawed a crowd. The crowd came to hear the sound. They heard the sound. They wanted to know what the sound was about. They get there and they see these people. And as I shared with you last week, these, these men were not educated to the level of, of the religious leaders. They, were, they had went through Jewish school or, or Torah school, but they had not went beyond that. So for them to know and identify and speak other languages was not, that was amazing to the people that were witnessing this because these were people who were hearing their language spoken perfectly and what were they speaking? The Bible doesn't specifically say, but I believe they were sharing the gospel. What else would there be to say? They were sharing the gospel. So people from all over the world, all of a sudden, this little group of 120, give or take a few, has now been launched into a global worldwide movement overnight. 
I want you to think about that. Overnight, they leave the upper room after the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says the people gather in Acts chapter 2, and they begin to assume what's going on. They said these men are drunk. They've been partying too much. It's Pentecost. It's a celebration, and they are drunk. And Peter shuts down everything, and he says, Men and brethren, hearken to me. Hear my words. This same Jesus whom you've crucified has been raised from the dead and is now both Lord and Christ. And the Bible says, he goes on to say, These men aren't drunk, as you are thinking they're drunk. These men, this is what the Bible speaks about in the prophet Joel. He's saying in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel spoke about this that the Holy Spirit in the last days would be poured out upon all flesh. And he says, this is what you're witnessing is the fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of prophecy in your very own ears and eyes. You're seeing that happen right now. And he goes on to share the gospel with them. They are cut in their hearts and they say this verse. I love this verse. They say, what, can, what do we do? And in the, in the original language, it is, it is a frustration of we're, in a, we're at a crisis of belief. What do we do with this Jesus? Because you're telling us just a few days ago, we were, it's very, very much believable to think that some of this 3,000 that had gathered, because that's what was added that day to the church. Think about that. They went from 120 to 3,000 overnight. And you talk about a pastoral nightmare. You know, how, am I gonna, how are we going to take care of all these people? But overnight, they, they, they grew that to that number. Well, they're sitting there, and, and, and so all of a sudden, they begin to, to, to hear the gospel. They're cut in their hearts, and they said, what do we do? What do we do with that? And, and, and Peter says, repent, be baptized of your sins, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, he says, and save yourselves from this undirected generation. Uh, the King James uses a nice little prissy word called untoward. Untoward. It means bent in no direction. It means you're going nowhere. He's saying if you keep on the path you're going, it's going to end up nowhere. So once you're saved, once you're filled with the Spirit, he says God wants to put you into a path that is right. He wants to put you in a sure direction. So these people receive the gospel. They are baptized. Come on. And then they leave the upper room experience. They leave the baptism. And they begin to go after they had devoted themselves to some time. And we're going to talk about what they devoted to. They return back to their native air, uh, countries. And what do they do? They share what took place with them. And so this small little group now becomes a worldwide movement. It is spread throughout the whole world almost overnight. Now, this will give you just some indication of what took place. Do you realize no one knows who started the church in Rome? No one. No one knows specifically who started. Well, we know Peter or Paul did it because he wrote Romans. No, he did not. And Paul did not go to Rome till the end of his ministry and it cost him his head. Okay, so Paul did not start the church at Rome, but yet it is written in the first chapter of Romans. What is it written? Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. What God did in you on Pentecost. See, because most theologians believe that it was a group of believers from Rome that had went to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, that went back to Rome, and there they began to gather, and there the church began in the city of Rome. So not an apostle, but people. Began that church. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me.
So, what did they do? They hung around a little bit. Why? Because John, John 14, 16 through 17 says, these are the words of Jesus, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may, come, may be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Jesus promised them that what this spirit would do is empower them to share the gospel, empower them to be witnesses. They had heard a great noise. As of a mighty wind, they had seen tongues of fire that rested upon uh, the disciples. They were filled with the Spirit. They spoke in foreign languages, declaring the gospel to, to all that had gathered there. People from all over the world who had gathered for this feast heard it and carried that message back home. But they devoted themselves to some things. So once the crowd was paying attention, Peter preaches. They are all convicted. They are changed by that message. By the way, that will always be the message of Pentecostalism. The Pentecostal message is not come and speak in tongues. The Pentecostal message is come see this Jesus that forever changed my life through the act of the work of Calvary that I am saved because of him from my sins. Then what is the message of Pentecost? The message of the gospel, the salvation. What is the Holy Spirit? It's the empowerment to share that message. Or that message to people, to give that message to hearts and lives. He goes on, he says, to, the, to, to, to them, that they were devoted to a few things. And I want you to hear uh, what the Scripture says, that after they, they did this, after they received the Spirit, um, they devoted themselves to, to a few principles, and that's what we're going to talk about. They devoted themselves, verse 42 says, to, to, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all had all things in common. And I won't go any further right now into that. But they had reached a place where they began to devote themselves fully to the things they, that, that they had experienced. In other words, there's a lot of people, all their salvation experience is, is they're devoted that heaven is their reward, and they're missing out on the relationship that Christ has for them with the Father. They're missing out on it. And, and if, if all you're doing is buying a fire insurance policy, that's a sad existence as a Christian to me. Because there's so much more than just not getting or going to hell. We're doing a devotion with our men, and it's based off Francis Chan's book called Crazy Love. And if, uh, if any of our men are doing that, you'll realize there's some hard-hitting questions that are presented in that devotion. And one of those questions hit yesterday morning, not exactly a Saturday morning question I wanted to take on, but basically that question is, is Jesus enough? If there was no heaven, if there was no reward after this life, would you still serve Jesus? Would you still live for the Lord? I had a college professor come into our systematic theology class, and he, 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 Dr. Melvin Hyatt, and he looked at us once and he said, okay, I want to ask you guys some, some questions. I'm going to put this before you today. If there were no streets of gold, no walls of jasper, no great gates of pearl, if there was no uh, afterlife beyond just going away and dissolving into nothing, how many of you would still serve Jesus? That question would go on to haunt what was then a 20-year-old man. I just had a birthday, so it's been 32 years ago now. But a 20-year-old man, it would haunt me and does every day of my life that I would be devoted to being more than just staying out of hell, more than just living for Jesus to make it to heaven because there is so much more than what we don't get is it wasn't about putting in, in the beginning, it wasn't about putting man in paradise. It was about man having fellowship with the Father. 
That's what it's always been about. It wasn't about the address and it wasn't about the location. It was about a God in heaven that loved you and me so much that he could not bear to be without us. So he wanted to fellowship with us and be with us and and be involved in our lives. Do you realize God cares about you? And I just want to say this, and I say it a lot. I still serve a God that smiles. I still serve a happy God. Some of us don't serve a happy God. We serve a God that we feel like is sitting on a throne waiting for us to mess up so that He can squash us. I'm going to tell you, the fear of God is not me fearing that He will squash me. The fear of God is knowing that He could could crush me, but He chooses not to. He chose to save me. It's understanding that he came to reestablish relationship with sinful man. And the only way to do that was through his son. But they devoted themselves, the Bible says, to these four principles. The apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want to kind of break this down for us today. In other words, they devoted themselves to their own spiritual enrichment. Their own spiritual walk. What they were saying is, I want to grow in this relationship of salvation. And to do that, there has to be some principles. Do you realize that that what is presented in the second chapter of Acts is the four building blocks to the church? They are literally what must exist in order for the church to live and thrive and survive in the day that we're living in. I've had a lot of pastors ask me, how did y'all make it through 2020? How in the world did you survive that, that dark year? I'm going to tell you how we survived. We were devoted to some things that were far deeper than a Christian social club. Because I'm going to tell you, there are churches that have not survived the pandemic and they're closing their doors and I believe it is because they were not devoted to these four principles that are presented in the book of Acts. Hmm. They devoted themselves to their own spiritual enrichment. They devoted themselves to letting God fill them with the Spirit. And by the way, for those of you that are in this room, being filled with the Spirit is, yes, I am baptized in the Holy Spirit, but do you realize I'm filled with the Spirit or should be filled with the Spirit every single day of my life? Why should I be filled with the Spirit every single day of my life? Because by the end of my day, I ought to be emptied out of everything I've got so I can be filled up again to be emptied out again. Why? Because this world doesn't need fill. This world doesn't need you. They need Jesus. And the Holy Spirit testifies of the Father. He testifies of the Son. He is not here to boast of Himself. He's here to bear witness of the Father and of the Son. Hmm. I like my, my phrase, I want the spirit to slosh out of me. That's a good southern phrase, isn't it? Slosh. Just say it. Look at somebody and go, slosh. It's fun to say, isn't it? Amen. Now, I learned that phrase as a young kid when I was carrying a glass of milk through the house, and, and I was like any other kid. You ever ask a kid, a small kid, to give you a full glass? Look out. Because it's going to be full. And I had that thing, man. It was filled up to the, to, to the very, very top. And every step you took, a little bit come out here. And a little bit. And doesn't matter how calm you walked, it just poured out. You see, I think the problem with the world today is they've heard our, le- they've heard our religious lectures. They've heard our religious talk. But they haven't seen the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God help me preach this this morning. They haven't seen the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So they just look and say, I don't know what they're doing. What are they doing? Swinging off the chandeliers, I guess. They call it being blessed. No, what they need to see is the Holy Spirit so full in us every step I take 
It's spilling out. It's spilling out. And by the end of my day, I'm so empty, I need to be filled again so that I can be emptied out again and again and again that this world may see him and know him. Why? Because it desperately needs him. How many of you, you went to sleep last night and you didn't worry if you didn't wake up? Okay, a few of us. rest of y'all need to get an altar. <laughs> worry about you. We're going to have so, oh boy, people getting saved today. I only saw a few hands. If you don't have the peace that you would go to heaven, I'm not kidding about that. You need to walk out of here with that peace. Because the Bible tells us we can know that we are his. You can know that. That's not guesswork. I don't guess about where I'm going. You go ahead and guess all you want. Adam Lathan's on a trip, so I can't pick on him. We did a couples gathering. We do a couples every, once a month. And I looked at my wife, and Adam don't care because he he'd just laugh about it. But uh, Adam said, I want to go get fresh seafood, and we'll do a low country bull. And I said, well, I don't want you to do that by yourself. So we decided we were going to Savannah and back in one day. All right? Made the plan. And I looked at Tina waiting on Adam to come get me because he had a job at the last minute. So we were running a little bit late. And I, I called Tina and I said, I got this sinking feeling. He has no idea where we're getting this. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> we get on the interstate and he goes, I guess we need to figure out where we're going to go. So I pick up my phone, I'm Googling fresh seafood, Savannah, Georgia. Come up with two places, and yes, I picked the most roughest place you ever can imagine. I mean, man, I was fearing, I'm not kidding, I thought I was going to die. That was a rough neighborhood. And we went into that rough neighborhood, but we got some good seafood. But I went in, we went into a rough neighborhood. So here we are trucking it down to Savannah with no plan. Those of you that know me, I'm not good with no plan. I like a plan. Now, it may be a vague plan, but I'll take it. All right? But we're going to the coast. I know it's an ocean down there, and there's food in it. But I'm not going down there to catch it. All right? I was going down there to get it and bring it back. What do you say? So we left with no plan. We got one by the time we got to Adairsville. We had a plan. But we weren't sure if that was a good one. Thank God for his protection and grace. That's all I'm going to say. You want to know more about that story? Come see me because there's a lot more to it. The church was not to be without a plan of action. And so it had to have some building blocks. So they devoted themselves, this group that had grown from 120 to 3,000 to four principles, the apostles' teachings. Let's talk, let's talk about that just for a moment. What does it mean they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings? Very simply, it means they devoted themselves to the Word of God. They devoted themselves to understanding Scripture. Now, they did not have the modern Bible that you and I have, and they didn't have the New Testament. That would be the right side of your Bible for some of us. They didn't have that at all. Why? Because at that period of time, it was being written, it was being lived out in real time. It had yet to be written down, it had yet to be recorded. So what they based upon was prophecy and Scripture and Psalms, and they were pointing people to Jesus based on the Old Testament, because the Old Testament testifies of one thing, of Jesus. 
And if you think it testifies of anything else, then your theology is broken. The Old Testament testifies of the coming of the Messiah. Every book of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Every book. And so they used that as their basis, just as Jesus did, but they also taught the things that Jesus taught. And so they were devoting themselves to the teaching of the Word. There's a lot of people today that do not devote themselves to understanding Scripture. They just take it. Anybody ever done this? And I, I'm testifying because in my younger days, this is what, oh, God, I need an answer. <laughs> that don't work. Let me go. Maybe over here. No, that don't work. Until we find something that we think works and we make it apply to our situation. And can God bring that out of nowhere? Yes, He can. But I'm here to tell you the times that God has really spoken to me is when I have just been reading His Word to read it. And all of a sudden, a verse that I was coming across speaks to the situation and is applicable to my life. It applies to where I'm at. And God speaks. But we need to know His Word. They devoted themselves to the principles of the Word. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Look at somebody and tell them, introduce yourself, come on, and say, nice to meet you. Come on, look at them and say, nice to meet you. Come on, to your right, to your left, introduce yourself. All right, nice to meet you. I say this because this is a principle that is lost in a lot of churches because there are people that go to church for years and years and years and years together and they've never met one another. They, I'm telling you, they've never talked to one another, never had a conversation with one another. They've never devoted themselves to a connection and fellowship because fellowship develops relationship and relationship is what God brings fruitful life out of. It is that relationship with one another, developing with one another. You know what? I like my wife, Tina. I thought she was a pretty girl. Somebody says, you married her for your talent. No, I married her because she was smoking hot. You shouldn't say that in church. Yes, you should. You should tell, hey, ladies. But I'm going to tell you something. She was a smoking hot girl that loved Jesus and devoted her life to the Lord. And I knew she could get a prayer. I found out later she played the piano. I never knew that. After, I didn't know she played the piano until after I was dating her. What are you saying? Because people would tell you when you first called to preach, anybody, they'd say, you need to get you a piano player. <laughs> somebody can sing. I was told that about a million times. I said, no, I need somebody that can get on their knees and get a hold of Jesus for me. I need somebody that knows how to walk into the throne room of God and talk to the Father for me. And I'm going to tell you, the other is just bonus, but I thank God for a wife that knows how to pray. But I want to tell you this morning, everyone in this room, we have to learn what it means to fellowship. In other words, I went to a Christian college, and they didn't date, they fellowshiped. We dated. They can call it whatever they wanted. In other words, I didn't see Tina and say, hey, she looks good. Hey, let's go get married. And say, sure. No, we got to know one another and developed a relationship. And out of that relationship, we decided, hey, God's got a plan for us together. We might as well be together and be married, by the way, not just together. Everybody say married. married. Marriage is not a dirty word. <laughs> you walked into the wrong church if you think I'm going to pull punches. 
because we pull punches and people are going to die and go to hell because we have. Mm. I'm going to be good. I've already got somebody calling me James and I don't like that. But fellowship produces relationship and relationship develops a accountability and a connection in which God can do amazing things. They devoted themselves to knowing one another. We need to make it in our heart, a point in our heart and mind that we get to know the faces in this room. That we get to know each other beyond just, oh, I go to church with them or I think I do. Get to know them. Put a name there. And I'm going to get, everybody get ready. I hope you got your steel toe boots. Get involved in ladies' ministries. All the ladies involved say amen. Get involved in man cave on Tuesday nights. Amen, men. Get involved in connection and fellowship with your brothers and sisters because I'm going to tell you, this one accord stuff that had to take place before the Holy Spirit would come, it did not come until they connected with one another. And there was about 120 of them, not just 12. And when they got connected and really got a hold of God, God answered in an amazing way. We need God to move in an amazing way in this world we're living in. We need God to shake this earth like never before. We need to see people come into a relationship with Him. And they're not going to do that if the church doesn't even know each other by name. Get to know one another and fellowship. Fellowship is more than just getting together and playing Bible trivia, though that can be good. Fellowship is what we did on Wednesday night where we had some campfires and we roasted some hot dogs and we, and we, we, we had s'mores and we did chili. By the way, man, God answered my prayer. There was a time when I cooked two pots of chili because I was afraid we wouldn't have enough to eat. We had 20 pots of chili. You can clap, but it was a lot of chili. People still eating chili. What are you saying? We had a great time. Guess what? That's called fellowship. That is one of the principal building blocks of the Church of Acts. They got together. They spent, they spent time together. They ate meals together. They played games together. You say, no, they didn't play games. I guarantee you they played some games. Y'all, some of y'all got such a, a warp. Um, God help me right now. I'm telling you, Jesus, some of us, the way we look at Jesus... We don't think Jesus acted like a man. He was a man. He was God made flesh and dwelt among us. He hung out by the campfire with 12 guys. It wasn't always holy moments. I think nothing unholy, but I don't think it was always. Sometimes I think they talked about life. Sometimes I think they talked about everyday things. They learned to connect with one another. And this became one of the building blocks of the early church. They connected with one another. And with that connection comes relationship. And with that relationship comes a mighty move of the Spirit. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, in principle, this refers to communion. They, they communed, but it also means they shared meals together. It alludes to both. Now, the church always tends to corrupt the holy <laughs> because the church is made up of people. And people are not perfect. So what happened? The church in Corinth got a hold of this and they took it to a whole nother level. 
The church in Corinth were having elaborate feasts and because if the people didn't bring to the feast or if they couldn't afford to be a part of it, they left them out. They excluded them. And Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian church correcting this behavior because they had even went a step further and they had called these elaborate feasts the Lord's Supper. And he's saying, look, if you're hungry, eat at home. But you are not to exclude people from the fellowship, from the connection. And you've done that. And he's saying, because you've done that, you've brought grave consequences upon yourself. So instead, when you get together to eat the Lord's Supper, let it be to eat the Lord's Supper. See, they had confused fellowship with the breaking of bread. What is the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread? It is to bring us back into remembrance of what this is all about in the first place. What is this all about? I'm going to tell you what this is all about. It is all about Jesus. It is all about our God the Father sending His only Son to this earth that He might take on the form of flesh, that He might dwell among us, that He might experience life because our God is an experiential God. And to really know what man felt, He became one. Oh my goodness. And so he walked on this earth and when he stumped his toe, it hurt. And when he went to the cross, it hurt. And it was agony and it was pain. And when they beat his back and split it open with a cat of nine tails, he felt every bit of it. And our God experienced that so that it might be written in all points He was tempted like we are yet without sin. You see, He went through it. He endured it so that you and I might do what we could not do. And that's live a life of holiness before Him. So I can't live holy on my own. i got to have His grace to do it. But they had confused it. The breaking of bread is to bring us back to, to our true north, the cross. To bring us back to that place where we see what this is all about in the first place, and it's about Jesus. The last thing they devoted themselves to is to prayer. Prayer is our way of accessing this powerful, almighty God. But yet, there's so many times we never access Him. We want Him to move, but we don't want to do what it takes to see Him move. You walk in your room at night, or your house at night, you know you paid your power bill, or at least you think you did. <laughs> and you stand in the middle of a dark room and you say, why is it dark? It's not rocket science. You paid your power bill. It's because you haven't turned on the light switch. Yeah, the lights. In other words, prayer is the switch to activate the power in the church. And if we don't flip the switch, there's no power. We'll just stand in the dark. But when I pray, I access the power. And guess what? I'm not just accessing the power of my house. I'm, actually, I'm accessing the Georgia Power Southern Company power grid. I want you to think about that. And that means I have access to power like you've never dreamed. Some of us are going through situations and we're going, why am I in the dark? Why am I in the dark? And God says, if you would just flip the switch, I'll turn on the light. If you'll just, what do we sing in that song? Oh, you can light it up, but we don't want to pray to see God light up the situation. Church, we have access 
to unlimited power in God. But yet, through prayer, that's the only way we can access it. That's the only way we turn it on. But yet, prayer is one of the most unused resources of the church. Statistically, across lines. I'm thankful for now I lay me down to sleep. You know, that's a scary prayer, by the way, for a kid. I pray the Lord, if I should die, you stay his prayer, you'll feel real good and have good dreams. No, I won't. <laughs> Y'all thought about that prayer, I don't guess. <laughs> if I should die before I wake, <laughs> good gracious, pray the Lord my soul to take. If you're still praying now, I laid me down to sleep. Number one, you brave. <laughs> Sorry. But no, number two, number two, isn't it time to graduate? Have some conversation with God. Isn't it time to do that? I went out to lunch with this guy once. This is an adult. And uh, we were going to have our lunch, and he said, um, I'm going to bless the food before we eat. And he literally bowed his head, and, and he wasn't joking. But he prayed, God is great, God is good. It's a 30-year-old man. God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. That's okay when you're young. But when you're 30, you ought to graduate. It's called maturing in the faith. I even had better ones when I was little. All my family loved me to pray for the food. You know why? You know what my prayer was for the food? Lord, this food, amen. <laughs> That's it. I graduated early. <laughs> I was hungry. <laughs> ask if you want to eat fast, ask a teenage boy to pray. <laughs> Or you can be like my kids. By the time I get my plate fixed, because we usually eat in the den, I walk in the den, they're going chowing down. I'm like, did y'all pray? Yeah. Well, I'm glad I was included. <laughs> just cooked it and everything. Tina and me sitting there going, I guess we'll just have our prayer. What are you saying, Pastor? If we understood what prayer really meant, there's nothing that would keep you from doing it. For it is access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is access to the one who walks on water. It is access to the one who cleansed the, the lepers and healed the blind and opened the deaf ears and made those who could not speak to speak again. It is access to the one who saved you from your sins. I'm telling you, if you understand who you're talking to, prayer is not a chore. Prayer is a privilege. And you're going to do it over and over and over again because you're talking to your Father. They devoted themselves to these four principles and the earth was shaken. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that, they, that an all settled upon the church. That all means in the sense of they sensed the glory and the presence of God. It settled upon them. And many signs and wonders and miracles were worked through the apostles. 
And just eventually these signs and these wonders and these miracles would spill out into the streets. It would not be contained to just the, the, the church of Jerusalem, but it would spread. And all of a sudden, when persecution came upon the church, it would even spread even greater. Because the more the devil tried to stamp out the ones who believed in these four principles, the more their numbers grew. And the more they multiplied. And the more they reached. And the more they shared the hope of Jesus. What I'm trying to tell you world, is this world is hurting. And this world is in need of hope. And this world is in need of Jesus. And we can't contain it behind these four walls any longer. We've got to get a hold of God. We've got to learn what it means to be devoted to the, to, to the Word. Devoted to fellowship. Devoted to the breaking of bread. And devoted to praying and when we do these things we will become an unstoppable force in Chattooga County that will reach this world for Jesus and we will see the wonders of heaven performed in our world say I just don't believe that God can do the things he did back then I've seen those things I've seen them and I don't say that with pride or arrogance but I know he can I know he opens blind eyes. I have seen him heal the sick. I have seen him eradicate cancer. I have seen my God do miracle after miracle after miracle. But the most important sustaining miracle that he's ever performed is when, when I was eight years old, I knelt at a big old conference between my mom and dad. The conference was going on and there were thousands of people and I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and I knelt as a child between my mother and father and I said yes to Jesus. One of the greatest miracles the greatest miracle that will ever take place took place at that moment because a man that was destined for hell now became a son adopted into the family of God. Folks, God's done miracles. You just haven't noticed them. Will you stand? God is looking for you to be devoted to some things. God is looking for you to be committed to some things. And you will commit to something. What you're devoted to, you will put your time and your energy and your effort towards. Whatever you're devoted to. Whatever you're sold out to, that's what you're going to put your energy to. My question is, is that energy and that devotion towards Jesus? Or is it towards the things of this world? Only you can answer that. Where are you putting your effort this morning? Where are you putting your energy this morning? What are you focused on? Because whatever it is, whatever it is, that's what you're devoted to. I'd like for us just for a moment to bow our heads. Those of you watching at home, if you would, just bow your heads and just want to want you to listen to the Spirit this morning. What are you sold out to? See, not all of it's evil things. Immediately we want to go to evil things. We want to think, oh yeah, they're sold out to this and that and that's sinful. Some of us are sold out to some good things, but it's not the Lord. In other words, our priorities are messed up. We're not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We're seeking God's approval on the things we're devoted to. 
Let me break it down like this. Some people are devoted to their marriage and that's, that's their God. That's all they care about. And they want God to bless their marriage, but yet God's not a part of their marriage because they're just devoted to their spouse and to their marriage, but they're not allowing God to be in the middle of their marriage, in the center of it. Some people are devoted to their jobs. They're devoted to, to earning a living and earning a dollar, and they, they give all their time, their energy, and their effort towards, towards their job. Some people are devoted towards their children. And not that our children aren't important, but if our children don't know Jesus, what have we done? If I raise my kids to be successful in this world, but they don't know the Lord, they never have a relationship with Jesus, what have I accomplished? Kind of makes it parallel to the verse. <laughs> what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit me to gain this world and lose my children and lose my family? Because I was devoted to other things and not devoted to the Lord. So some of us, we're devoted to some things that are they're not bad things, they're not sinful things, but the Lord is just not first. Some of us are devoted to the God of entertainment. <laughs> and we will miss whatever we need to miss in order to fulfill that. This morning, God is calling us to be devoted to something deeper than the things of this world and the cares of this life. Because you see, everything must flow from a relationship with Him. So this morning, I guess I'm, I'm giving this altar call simply to this. Are there any, is there anybody willing to say, God, today I devote myself to Your Word? Today, I, devo I devote myself to fellowship with, with, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And today, God, I devote myself to the breaking of bread. Lord, I realign myself with the real purpose of life, and that's the cross and living out Jesus to a broken world. God, today, I realign myself and devote myself to discovering the wonders of prayer. That prayer is access to the power of God and the presence of God. Prayer does move mountains. It does make oceans into highways. It does the impossible. When I pray, I am, I am accessing the God of the impossible that can turn a terrible situation into a great situation, that can take a moment of death and breathe life into it. A God that can do anything when I pray. When I pray. This morning, if you're willing to join me and say, God, I, I devote myself to these things because I want to be, Lord, what you want me to be. I'm going to invite you to this altar right now. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you to this altar right now. If you don't know the Lord is your Savior, if you don't know that you would go to heaven, you are going to bed with uncertainty. Today I invite you to know the Lord. The Bible says you can know that you're saved. You can know it. And this morning I'm inviting you into that relationship with the Lord. Is there anybody that's ready to see God move? Beyond just a, oh, we had a good church service. You're ready to see God move in your family. You're ready to see God move in your community. You're ready to see mountains move in your life. If that's you, then you got to take a step of faith and you got to come. You got to come.
Well, I don't want to walk in front of everybody. Who cares what people think? You better care what the Lord thinks. This morning, God's calling to some of us. Come on, some of you are listening. Some of you right now, you're listening, and you need to just take that step. Come on. There are some others. You just need to take that step. Just need to take that step and come and come and come. Oh, come on. He's calling us to deeper things. He's calling us to a committed life like we've never had before. Are you ready to commit that He is number one? Oh, God, you're number one. From this point on, I'm making you number one. I'm going to devote my life to you. Oh, come on, church. Come on, come on, come on, come on. There's some others. You need to make your way to this altar. Come on. God's ready to do a work in you. He's looking for... Look, if, if He took 12, 12 men and shook the world. The Bible says these were the men that turned the world upside down. Why? Because they were devoted to something besides themselves. They were devoted to the point that they were, it was worth giving their life for it. Think about that. It was worth paying the ultimate price to know Christ. To know Christ. I'm going to ask us all over this room. This altar is still open for those that are fighting whether to come or not. You find yourself trying to take that step and you just can't. Just take that step. I promise you, you won't regret it this morning. Take that step. Take that step. I'm going to ask us to pray all over this room. Let's pray. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you'd like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.